Hello, everyone. Hi. It's As almost Boogie Phantom. Halloween, and I... It's almost Halloween! 11 days. 11 days. Friends, Everyone, ghouls. go open your window and just scream, This is Halloween! This is Halloween! 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 <laughs> Wait, when I got here to New York, the very first thing I did was I turned the TV on and watched 31 Days of Halloween on ABC, or whatever it's called, Freeform, and Hocus Pocus was on. And it was the best. That was the best call for Freeform to make ever. It's just switching from 13 to 31 because that's what we're all looking for anyway. Yes. Uh, This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Creepy Corinne. Oh, I like that. And I'm Saucy Sabrina. Saucy. Saucy. (laughs) Um, Okay, wait. Do you follow Lizzo on Do I follow Lizzo? Yes. I just followed her from our Two Girls, One Ghost account because I was like, why not? And then I also followed her flute account from our account. Also, I was like, why wouldn't we She's follow amazing. Sasha B. Fluten? But um, that's her thing. I that's was, awesome. <laughs> I was dying laughing the other day because Lizzo posted a photo and her caption was fat girl fall. And I was like... I am here. I will participate in that. I think I missed the boat on Hot Girl Summer, but I am here for Fat Girl Fall. I That is hilarious. I just love Lizzo so First much. First of all, you're not fat at all, so stop. And second, I love it. I am not fat, but I have fat on my body. As does everyone. If you didn't, I'd be very concerned about you. Although, did I tell this on the podcast that... I don't know. That... <laughs> Techni- okay, so my greatest strength is that I weigh probably 40 pounds heavier than I look. So it's always shocking when people try to pick me up. It's definitely going to help me out if ever someone tries to kidnap me. So I'm just a – I am a sturdy woman. So when I went to the doctor – I told you this, Sabrina. I definitely oh, yeah, did. You have. Like a year ago. Yeah. They never said anything to me in person because if you look at me in person, I don't look obese. But on the chart for my height and weight, I was obese. And I only found that out when I logged into my chart. And then it said, like, health issues. And I clicked on it because I was like, what? A health issue? And I click on it and it said obesity. You're not. You're not at all. (laughs) Oh, God. It was... Corinne. You win some, you lose most. (laughs) (laughs) You need to be kinder to yourself. You're I'm, hot girl I, fall. I think it's funny. I'm not like boo-hoo <laughs> right now. Okay. I'm very, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> well, I'm going to, now that I'm in New York, I'm going to just eat everything and prepare for the warmth and just like put on the extra weight so that I don't get as cold, which I started the very first day I got here. I ordered enough Chinese food for like the entire first week that I'm here, but I've eaten a lot of it already and I ate so much of it that I fell asleep for an hour in the middle of the day. Oh man. But it was great. I was like, this is like Thanksgiving. It was wonderful. I'm I'm surprised that you don't have any sort of like allergic reaction to Chinese food. Should I? I just feel like you're so sensitive to so many. I am a sensitive person. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm here for you. No, I don't know why I don't. Um, with alcohol and different foods and stuff, I feel like, yeah, I mean, I do have a soy allergy, so I do have a reaction to it. I just like, there's no good Chinese food in Los Angeles. So I, I go through the pain for the pleasure. Ah, 
like they say pain is pleasure no do they say that i don't know i don't i disagree with that (laughs) i very much get little very little pleasure from pain i like it's pleasure at first and then later it's pain and you're like why did i do that i yes i agree with you if i if i think to the many many times that i went to cno's trattoria in marina del rey venice and i would eat the entire bowl and i was like oh my god this is delicious and buttery and oily and garlicky and i love pasta and then my stomach would literally feel like it was ripping like i thought i was gonna be that girl from that one episode of a thousand ways to die where she overeats and her stomach lining rips Mm-mm. and then she poisons her her stomach is like oh her stomach acid poisons the rest of her body oh my god that's so terrifying yeah so but you're still here. careful you're alive <laughs> i'm here i lived to tell the tale i love do you have this. some like bucket list items for food you're gonna eat in new york uh obviously new york pizza and new york bagels those are musts. Actually, tomorrow morning, I think I'm going to go to the bagel store down the street and get a nice bagel before the day starts. Um, you should go. Well, it's probably far away from where you are. Where should I go? I don't really know New York, but that really, really cute uh, breakfast place that I went to and ate breakfast alone the morning. Oh, that you it left is me. <laughs> that I left you <laughs> for my, you mean for my sister's birthday? Yeah. <laughs> when and I then, left you? I'll never forget. <laughs> I chose my sister over you. How dare I? Scarred after spending two days straight with me. Uh, How dare you leave for three hours? I'm so horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that place looked cute. Well, I have plenty of time on the weekends when I'm here. And then I'm more, I'm less so excited for the food. I'm obviously excited for it because I love food. Food's great and I can't live without it because survival, you know, Um, that thing. But I'm more excited about the shows i'm going to see oh oh my gosh oh my gosh i will have seen cursed child when this comes out i will a week from a week ago from now i became a new person you guys haven't met her yet but you will you will soon and you haven't met her either i haven't even met her i don't even know who she's gonna be i feel like i'm just gonna become a different person do you think you're gonna like her more i yeah i think i will is she gonna be a permanent stay i think she will stay she's gonna stick around for a while I can I'm excited I like to meet predict her. the future a little bit here. But then I also want to see Oklahoma on Broadway. And there's a show called Slave Play, which is apparently amazing and incredible that I want to see. Um, I'm basically going to try and do everything I possibly can, all the shows. Are you going to go to Beetlejuice again? <laughs> oh, I should. This is the perfect time to go. No, I think I'm going to find the cool haunted house thing to do in New York. Oh, hell yeah. I'm sure there are a million. Yeah, I'm going to call up all my friends from high school and be like, I'm dragging you to get your butts scared off of your bottom. And then you should also stake out the area where they film Saturday Night Live and just see who you see. Uh, That would be fun. Right? Nick might come to visit the last weekend I'm here and we were looking at Fallon tickets, but those will probably be very impossible to get because SNL is like... Who do you think you are, Sabrina? You haven't seen Cursed Child yet. You can't get those tickets. <laughs> Not you, but the you you'll be in a week from now. Oh, baby. Oh, she's going to get those. She will be front <laughs> She'll be on stage. <laughs> God, I'm excited to see this, Sabrina. 
You could just go as her for Halloween. Uh, yeah. Wait, okay. I really do need help brainstorming for Halloween costumes. I feel like... Okay, well, you usually like to go scary. I do. I really do want to do something scary. Do you... I tend to do, like, pop culture references. Yeah, you're good at that. I like characters. Just anything that gives me, like, something to play with. Like... So are, you want to create your own? Well, no. Even Samara, you know? She was a character. She was someone I could play That's with true. and be become someone else maybe i'll be alphaba from wicked and just paint myself green that's an excellent idea that'd be fun that would be speaking of things i'm sensitive to face paint is definitely one of them (laughs) okay well let's workshop that idea a little bit if anyone has helpful ideas you and nick should do like a couple costumes actually it well tbd uh, we haven't really discussed what we're gonna do for halloween but this might be the first halloween that i'm actually spending with nick and Three or four years. So maybe we should do something. Yeah. Hmm. Oh my God. I should just do Voldemort. You're right. You've been right for two years. I need to do it. I know. What have we been waiting for? You've been, we've been waiting. We've been waiting for new Sabrina. New Sabrina is cool <laughs> enough to do Voldemort. Old Sabrina, I don't know why she wasn't. Okay. I'm to... still old Sabrina. So, like, let's be nice to me because I am sensitive. We've <laughs> discovered that. Sabrina, why won't you wear a bald cap? Tell me. <laughs> Why do you hear I'm that afraid idea? <laughs> that I'm going to see my future because my grandma on my dad's side is going bald. My grandma and my mom's, well, she's RIP. Love you, Nona. But my mom's side of the family, they all go gray. So I'm going to be gray and bald. And it's just going to, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared to face myself. Look in the mirror at my future. I'm looking at my man <laughs> in the mirror. Oh, you know, it is what it is. Oh, it's so dry in here. Gosh. <laughs> you sounded like my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I need to put a bowl of water over on my oh, nightstand. Gosh, that was great. That's what my grandma does. Just forget a humidifier. She just straight up puts bowls of water. That everywhere. makes sense. <laughs> Goes yeah, into the air and evaporates. That's very smart. Wow. <sighs> All right. Speaking of my grandma. <laughs> doing this okay new sabrina needs to come soon but speaking of my grandma she had big breasts <laughs> oh, someone sent me home oh man tell me more about your grandma's breasts oh i love you nana i'm not speaking ill it, it runs in my family. I seem to be the one who is lap. It's skipped over. Okay, so that's good news. You might not go gray or bald. That's true. If you have boobs, we have bras that work great. Third love. This episode is focused on cave. Cave. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I tried to make a joke and it failed miserably. And here I am. That's comedy. I still Thank laughed. you. So Thank you. My awkwardness is charming. Wow. That should be a t-shirt. My awkwardness is charming? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> That's okay, amazing. Who wants to design it? Bumper stickers. I'd okay. buy one. You can get it for free because we'll design it. Actually, we still have to Wait, pay. When have we ever That's true. We still have to pay for it. Free. We totally have to buy it on the website like everybody else. All right. Well, I'll get it for you because you want it. And then it will be free for you. You buy yeah. it and then give it to me. So it's free for me. Okay. This is, or I'm highlighting, The Moaning Cavern. Ooh, I like the name. So before I start, 
let's have a small lesson. Caves versus caverns. What is the difference? Oh, this is great because I used both words in mine. Now I probably should change that. <laughs> no, you're going to be your partial, your pr- half to 100% oh. right. Half to 100%? <laughs> okay, this is ripped straight from cavern.com. Oh, okay, cavern.com, I see you. So here is the answer. Quote, a cave is any cavity in the ground that is large enough that some portion of it will not receive direct sunlight. And there are many types of caves... A cavern is a specific type of cave, naturally formed in soluble rock with the ability to grow speleothems. So then I looked up what I was like, I'm losing are. you a little bit. <laughs> this is one of those things where you just, every single time you find out what something is, it's like there's one word that you have to look up and then yeah. you never, ever stop looking things up. Um so a speleothem is a structure formed in a cave by the deposition of minerals from the water. So it's like stalactite and stalagmite. Okay. Did you look up those terms? Have you been in a cave? Yeah. Oh, the like drippy stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We went in a cave together. You know I've been in a cave. Oh, we went into the Bell Witch Cave. Yeah, we That's did. right. <laughs> Have you been in a cave, Sabrina? <laughs> Do you even know what stalagmite is? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Good fun. Vallecito, California, 1851. Gold miners discovered a cave with a small opening and odd noises emanating from within. And the sounds resemble moaning, which earned this cave the name The Moaning Cavern. Ooh. And the moans were discovered to be air. So that's not paranormal. It's just the way that the air passes through the cavern. It results in some sort of like wailing sound. So fear not the wails of the cave, for there is much more to be frightened by okay. deep inside the moaning cavern. Moaning cavern. And fun fact for you, Sabrina. I wrote it for you because you're a writer. Oh. Mark Twain used this cave, along with other caves, as inspiration for writing uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. What? That is so cool. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that fun fact. The entrance to this cave has since been widened to allow easier access for the public. And there is a 165-foot-tall shaft in this cavern. I keep switching between cave and cavern, too. Shit. <laughs> It's a cavernous cave. The good news is we're not wrong. <laughs> That's great. We're only 50 to 100% wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's a... Uh, okay, so back in the 1900s, they ended up building this 100-foot tall or long spiral staircase to allow for walking tours and like allow people to go deep within this cavern and the staircase itself was built out of the wood from a world war one battleship so that's whoa that's really cool the cavern includes some off-trail areas where people can explore and the depth of the cavern reaches about 410 feet and people visit there for like some good old fashioned family fun. Some people go for spelunking. And in fact, there's actually a company who does business out of the cavern. It's called the Moaning Cavern Adventure Park. So you can spend time either like walking 
down into the cavern and exploring kind of like what we did with the Bell Witch Cave, or you can continue deeper into like the narrower sections of the cavern, depending on what type of tour and what sort of like skill level and ability you are. The narrow passageways have really fun names like the meat grinder. Oh, okay. Pancake squeeze and birth canal. And there's also a 30 foot chimney called Santa's worst nightmare. Wait, that's then, so cool. Yeah, it's very cool. I myself, I don't know. I don't like being trapped places. Like, I'm not claustrophobic, but it's something about being under Earth. Like, I've never wanted to ever scuba dive because I'm underwater. I hate going in tunnels that are underwater. I hate totally. being under the Earth. I just want to be yeah, feet on the ground. I've talked about this before, but I have an irrational fear of driving under freeway passes and Mm -hmm. i think it's a fear of like being stuck and being like it collapsing on on you and not being able to get out right i always think of that when i'm i think i've told you this before but like when i'm stopped underneath a bridge or something yeah i always look and i'm like how do i zigzag through do i just ram into the back of other cars to try to like get out of the way yeah i don't know i feel like you have to get out of your car and walk Run. Or run. Well, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so if you don't want to go into this cavern, if you have a fear just like mine of being underground, Mm -hmm. then you could also be far above ground because there is a one and a half mile long zip line outside of the cavern that allows visitors, zip liners, to zip line the length of the cavern. Oh, that's cool. Uh huh. And this cavern also has one of California's longest vertical chambers, and it's big enough to fit the Statue of Liberty inside of it. So, sounds what? Fun. Sounds like a cool, adventurous, good old time. That's really cool. Yes, but the cavern has much more than fun and adventure to offer. People exploring the cave have reported hearing a strange sound. And it's not the wailing of the air, but it's actually a distinct knocking. It sounds like a hammer is hitting the rocks. And some people believe mm. the sound is created by Tommy knockers. Tommy knockers. Yeah, what are they? Are thought to be these small gnome like men, like leprechauns, oh. who haunt the dark underground and caves and the german referred to tommy knockers as mountain ghosts or little miners and these figures they exist like tommy knockers exist amongst and like across all different religions and countries and it's wild they're all over the place but uh the beliefs in their origin differ but the one thing that they all have in common is that these gnome-like men these tommy knockers mm-hmm have been terrifying miners for centuries oh so these small creatures these tommy knockers stand at about two feet tall and they appear to have a greenish tint to their skin and they look like men and are often dressed in miners outfits and sometimes they'll work alongside the miners Hmm. but they also are a bit mischievous and they'll steal food and tools and prank people who enter the caves where they reside And the first reports of these creatures came to America in the 1820s when the Cornish miners began coal mining in western Pennsylvania. And during the California gold rush, once everyone started entering caves and mining out in California, the reports of the Tommyknockers increased out there as well. Whoa. 
So some people believe that Tommyknockers are these like malevolent uh, creatures and the sounds of hammering means that like death and injury is near, while others are like, no, they're good. They're knocking to warn us that there's an accident or like a collapse that will soon happen. Right. Interesting. So they, it's interesting how they have two completely opposing like legends behind them. Right. Yeah. Or maybe they're both. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's it's just like people. There's good and bad. So maybe it depends. Mm -hmm. But those those who don't believe in the Tommyknockers in the past have been targets of the Tommyknockers' powers. Mm -hmm. So their luck turned bad and they were injured or worse. And as years passed by, Tommyknockers were thought to be less of like gnome-like creatures, People were like, maybe that was just kind of like everyone, I don't know, like old folklore. And people started speculating that Tommyknockers weren't these small gnome-like creatures, but instead they were the spirits of miners who had previously passed away on the job or um, while being a miner and would continue to work in the afterlife and to warn their fellow miners when danger was near. Oh, And in return, many miners who believed this, they began to leave food offerings and other like little trinkets in the mine to remain in the good graces of these spirits and these beings and to request their protection to like be warned if something's going to happen or if the cave is going to collapse or whatnot. Wow. But some continued to fear the Tommy knockers, and certain mines were actually closed entirely as the knocking was so persistent that miners refused to go to work out of fear for what was to come. Wait, that's probably good that it was closed because if the if it's true that they are warning people of like a, a collapse, a collapse, of a future collapse, then it would be good that it scared them so much that they right. closed that cave down. You're right. You're totally right. Sometimes you got to use fear. We won't know because if people didn't continue to work in those caves and caverns and if they didn't continue to mine, it was probably, I think collapses are pretty much almost always, wow, I'm really hardcore speculating, (laughs) but I assume that many of the collapses in mines happen because there's so much like tension and friction and so much happening to the rock that... Like from human interaction and the tools right. being used. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I, I get why those collapses happen. Yeah. Also, there's a weird sound outside. I don't know what it is. It, you know it. You get it. You live in a city. So there's weird things that happen all the time. But it's like a mix of like someone banging a drum and someone playing with fireworks. So if you hear weird things in the background, that's what it is. <laughs> New York, baby. Mm-hmm. Fireworks and drumming. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, so in the Moaning Cavern, it's thought that there are Tommyknockers, but they think that the Tommyknockers are the spirits of miners who have died in the cave, and that they're the result, like their interaction in the cave and their knocking and mining and whatever is what causes these weird sounds that people hear that echo throughout the cavern. 
And there are three ghostly apparitions that appear, often appearing in miners' uniforms, which only adds to this belief. And it's believed that these three men had fallen to their death in this cave. And another possibility for the sounds and people is that the sounds are made by spirits of prehistoric people who had once lived in the cave or entered the cave. Because this is so wild. Bodies were discovered at the bottom of the cave during a dig, as the cavern is also part of an archaeological site. And these remains were some of the oldest remains ever discovered in America. What? And they were found under 420 millimeters of mineral deposits. So I guess they had to like chip through the layer of mineral deposits and that's when they found these human remains that dated back to about twelve thousand years ago that's wild so wild and then alongside these old prehistoric remains there are also newer bones human bones from more recent periods so it's thought that this place like you might be like oh well maybe it was a burial place for people no instead it's thought that all of the people who died in this cave or this cavern, their deaths were accidental. <gasps> and that because you walk into this cavern and then remember there is, you have to go down a spiral staircase for like 140 feet. Right. So that's like a 140 foot drop. Whoa. Or something like that. So it's like now it's set up for safety and for people to like walk through. But before any of that happened, before the staircase was put in in the early 1900s, if you just walked in and couldn't see and misstepped, you would fall to your death. So, whoa. In total, it's thought that there might be about 100 people's remains in the uh, That's a cabinet. lot. That's a l- that makes me think like of a group of people who were like sleeping in there seeking refuge and then it caved in on them. It is a lot. But if you think back to the oldest remains in the cave being 12,000 years ago, then that's like yeah. every few years. I don't know. I can't do that. But I just wonder because if, it, if they're that old, people didn't like communities weren't that big. They were really small communities. So I just am curious. I, I'm And I'd be curious if you could do some scientific magic where you could date and like each body and corpse and when they died and figure out if they all died around the same time or if it was yeah different years or what if you could pinpoint it so specifically where you were like holy crap one person every 120 years exactly dies in this cave and there was like some sort of weird thing where the cave draws someone in and kills its next victim and then it remains like goes back and is dormant for another 120 years then it comes back scary but i just made that up so who knows if that's a thing but it's also it's also believed that a saber-toothed tiger once ventured into the cavern and fell to its death you mean a saber-toothed tiger your Instagram handle. <laughs> All right. So there haven't been any remains found of the saber-toothed tiger, but it's believed that there was a saber-toothed tiger that probably fell to its death because many people inside of the Moaning Cavern have spotted a spectral image of this massive beast, Whoa. this huge saber-toothed tiger, and it has a chip in its right fang. Oh, my gosh. And they nicknamed this ghost saber-toothed tiger chip and while it's 
absolutely terrifying to think of running into such a large predator. Those who have come into contact with Chip say that he simply just stares them down, but doesn't approach. Well, that's good. Yes. It's probably sad. It died. Yeah. It's sad. It's probably super confused, too. He's like, Stuck in you the- guys look different than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> you have weird clothing. <laughs> what is that? Why aren't you naked like the rest of us? <laughs> Where's the fur? You don't kill us anymore for our fur? Oh, you still do? Oh, sad. Oh. <laughs> sad. <laughs> but besides the prehistoric people and the prehistoric cat and the spirits of miners, there's also a ghost who appears in the cavern frantic, searching for his treasure. Treasure. He has many nicknames. He's not a pirate, but... Oh, he's not? No. He's a cowboy. Oh, okay. He's a bandit. So, uh, he has many nicknames. He is nicknamed the Gray Fox, uh, and the Gentleman Bandit, and a few others. But sometime back in the 1800s, this man robbed a stagecoach, and he took his new treasure to the Moaning Caverns to hide between the rocks. Mm. And then he left, and then a week later, he returned to go collect his stolen goods, but he couldn't find anything. So he was searching, 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 never found it. I'm not really sure what happened to him. He didn't die in the cavern or anything, Mm. but his spirit has still remained around the cavern desperately searching for his loot. So he's still hitting up the spot, being like, where the hell is the stuff I stole from the stagecoach? And there was a woman who is named Marjorie Lehman, and she was rappelling down the cavern, doing one of the the excursions, doing some spelunking. Spelunking. And um, she spotted a man in 1800s-style clothing, searching through the shrubbery and lifting rocks. And he was wearing a gray cowboy hat and a gray jacket, and a very determined expression on his face. So she's staring at him, and then he must have gotten the feeling that someone was looking at him and he looks up and they make eye contact and then he disappears oh my gosh so she's in absolute shock meanwhile she's suspended in the air like she can't just run out she's she was repelling yeah yeah there's not much you can do except for keep going down she was pretty trapped so it was a moment that she forever remembered it was she would never ever forget it for the rest of her life his face was burned into her memory and her encounter with the spirit she thought would end there but it kind of didn't because eight years later she was in an antique shop and she comes across this photo of the exact man she saw in the moaning cavern and she's startled and she like kind of like gasps like lets out a little scream almost oh my gosh and it got the antique store owner's attention And he comes over and he tells her that the photo that she's looking at is a photo of the gray fox, also known as Bill Miner, who was a very well-known outlaw in California. He was originally from Kentucky, and he was a bit of a legend in his day. And so this woman, Marjorie, she ends up paying $35 for the photo, and she now displays it in her home. So Wait, that's so cool? He kind of followed her home forever. Wait, he probably wanted her to take that photo. Yeah. I mean, eight years later, too, to find it. Yeah. I mean, or, oh my God, I totally wonder if they knew each other in a past life. And that's his way of trying to be a part of her life again. (gasps) Oh, that just suddenly made it like very sweet and romantic. Isn't that, I mean, 
like they always say, they, the experts, us, we always say like, you know, you you meet people and people are in your life for a certain reason. And that like, there are people who are connected to you through every life. And mm-hmm. that, like how many other people have that same situation where they encountered him in that way? Probably not many, if any. Yep. It was purposeful. Wow. Yeah. Love is love. Love is love real. Love is love. Beauty. <laughs> Romance. They're now married. two girls, one ghost. <laughs> there have also been apparitions of the Native American tribe seen near the cavern alongside the Calaveras River. And it's believed that these people were actually murdered by Spanish soldiers and their spirits still remain in the area where they once resided. Oh. So this cave or this cavern has got it all. Yeah. The Moaning Cavern not only has a natural moan sound coming, emanating from it, but it has a ton of both paranormal activity and adventurous activity. So if you're not brave enough to face the heights or the darkness or the gnomes or the spirits or the saber-toothed tiger, I have a couple other cool caves to suggest. They're not haunted, but they are two caves that I went to in my travels and these two caves were like life-changing experiences for me they were unbelievably amazing okay so my first suggestion to everyone is if you find yourself in mallorca spain there is a cave called uh drock cave cuevas de drock or whatever it's like dragon's cave it translates to and it is one of the most beautiful experiences i've ever had the ever had the cave itself is super beautiful um it honestly looks fake it's like so surreal looking but if you take the tour you'll go through and you'll just make your way almost to like the bottommost point of the cave on tour Mm -hmm. and you're put along this small lake and then you're seated and then all of a sudden all the lights turn off you're in absolute darkness and then a rowboat lights up on the water and then another and they move about dancing around to one another as musicians on board play it's like beautiful enchanting music it echoes through the cave it's literally it like goes through your body it's surreal that's cool so that's my first cave suggestion okay not haunted my other cave suggestion also not haunted is the Waitomo Glowworm Caves in New Zealand. Oh my gosh, you've been to that? Yeah, I studied abroad in New Zealand. I know, but I've seen, like, that's like where you see Instagram photos of places you must go. It's on, like, the list of, like, yeah. if there are 10 places in the world you need to see. This Oh, is, I want to go. It's usually on the list. That's so cool. It, okay, for people who do not know, it is this amazing cave you can actually do so many different activities and there's like a this cave is massive and there's like a bunch of different areas and sections of it so like they do different activities throughout each but i myself did the black water rafting excursion so you you put on a helmet and a wetsuit and you have like this inner tube and you go deep into this cave and if you're in a cave there's no sunlight so it's Hmm. literally completely pitch black besides just like the guide's flashlight at times but there are glow worms all over the ceiling of the cave cool yes and they glow so it looks like it's a starry night oh my god amazing and then there's like little drips that will 
fall on you so they tell you like don't don't open your mouth don't be like, wow <laughs> don't because be shocked. it's actually glowworm poop oh my god you think it's water but it's their shit no <laughs> yes that is so oh funny it's just like the craziest and most beautiful experience i've ever had and there are also like little eels that are in the water because like some parts you have to get up and you have to like walk your raft or walk through like maybe like a foot of water or whatever Mm -hmm. and then other parts are deeper and you have to like sit on your raft but they're like don't put your fingers in the water because the eels might get you oh my gosh which i don't know if that was real or they were just trying to scare us i don't know but that's really cool yeah it was amazing so if you're not going to go to the Moaning Cavern, you could go to Drac Cave in Mallorca, Spain, or to the Waitomo Glowworm Caves in New Zealand. Though, if you do go to the Glowworm Caves, if you stay at the Waitomo Caves Hotel, that place is haunted. Is it really? I didn't stay there, but yep. Ooh. They've done, like, shows and stuff. I feel Investigating. like we should probably redo... Have we done hotels again? We probably have. We did bed and breakfast. Yeah. But there are just so many hotels. It finds its way. It sneaks into a lot of episodes. Okay. Well, we can't do hotels while I'm in a hotel, but (laughs) we should add it onto our list again because there's just so many. And I feel like hotels are always, not always, but there's so many hotels that are buildings that have been repurposed to be a hotel. So like their history of what they were before the hotel is what makes it so interesting. Would you ever live in a hotel? I'm living in one for three weeks. But like, I mean, not live in a hotel as a guest, but like if there was like a a three-story hotel in like a historic district and for some reason it was suddenly super cheap and you could afford to buy it and transform it into whatever you want, like either your personal residence or maybe oh, like and yes. an artist studio, like would you do it? Yeah. Or do you think it'd be creepy and haunted? I would totally do it. Me too. I'd risk it. I'd risk it for the... Biscuit. Biscuit. Oh, so stupid. That should be a shirt. Risk it for the biscuit. No. <laughs> no, it's not good. No, but I like it. I enjoyed what it. What did you say? My awkwardness is charming. Uh-huh. I love that. <laughs> okay. I chose to talk about the Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And this was actually recommended to us by one of our listeners. I'm pretty sure one of our OG listeners, too, Savannah. And she said, there are so many ghost stories from Mammoth, Kentucky. They're creepy and cool. It's a national park about 30 minutes from where I live. And I grew up hearing the stories from park rangers and locals. It's kind of near Waverly Hills. So it's a creepy area. But it's a national park in Kentucky. It's the longest cave system known in the world and has over 150 documented paranormal events that have happened and occurred in the Mammoth Caves. But also, it covers 400 miles. Like, there are all these caves and caverns. And a lot of them people thought were like separate caves, but then over time discovered that they all connect. 400 miles. Yes. That is my absolute nightmare. It's underground crazy 400 miles so you could get that's the last place you want to get lost yes well they actually do these tours inside the caves and they do them with like it's the only light you have is an oil lantern that the tour guides hold because like that's how they used to do it in olden days to explore these caves and they'll also turn the light off while you're inside Mm. to make you experience how horrifying it is in the dark 
Yeah, it's it sounds terrifying. Uh, there's actually an intense. That's like complete darkness. Complete, like pitch black. Zero light. Yeah, you can't see. You can't even see your own hand in front of your face. Darkness. Wow. Yeah, and because of how many documented paranormal events have occurred in Mammoth Caves, it is one of the most, if not the most, haunted natural wonders of the world. There's actually an entire book called Scary Stories of Mammoth Cave, and it documents a lot of these encounters. So. If, after hearing this story, you want to read more or learn more, you can read that book. Also, Lore did an episode about it, which I did not listen to because I saw you post about it, Corinne, in our Excel after I had done the research. Oh, sorry. It's okay. No, oh my gosh. That was very helpful for you to give me. <laughs> I will re- I'll listen to it later and be like, damn it, I wish I said all that stuff. But anyway, as I said, it covers over 400 miles and the history of Mammoth Caves is almost as weird and haunting as the ghosts themselves, if not more, because it's so mysterious, the history of these caves. And they date really like far back. But then, so basically they found all these sets of Native American corpses and remains within the Mammoth Caves. And a lot of them were mummified and like followed these weird traditions that people hadn't seen before of how they interred their dead. And I don't know the exact number of how many corpses were found in the cave, but it's in the double digits. And most of them appear to die of normal circumstances. But there was one body that was found beneath a massive boulder. And it was clear that this was an adult male who was presumably crushed and died from a boulder that shifted over him. And he was unable to get out, which is so scary. When his remains were found, he was named Last John. So when the people who found his remains, they were like, we should place him on exhibit. So in the 1970s, they put him on exhibit and then they later moved him and interred him within the caves in an undisclosed location. So if you're if you're uh, walking through those caves, you might be walking on Lost John's grave. You don't know because no one knows where he was buried except for the people who buried him. And the okay, so the, this is where the weird part comes in because researchers and experts have studied these caves extensively. They've studied the remains of these Native Americans who were found extensively, and they found all these artifacts in the caves. And the very strange thing is that after the Archaic period, which is three thousand BC, it seems like no one entered these caves. And that whoever had been in the caves left in like a rush because there were all these like oil lanterns and Native American artifacts and belongings that were left behind. And it appeared to them like they just up and vanished or they up and ran and that there was like something or someone or who knows that scared them out of these caves. And then for centuries, no one dared to enter these caves. There was no evidence of humans entering. So maybe was it does it mean that they covered up the entrance to the caves or that something was it so kind terrifying? It reminds me of like Machu Picchu, how they all rushed out and burned the bridge behind them. Yeah. Yeah. Like what happened? No one knows. And it's like just this crazy mystery that no one has an answer to, whether it's terrifying or just happenstance where civilizations began to grow and the caves were no longer necessary. But it's strange because in 3000 BC, you know, you have people surviving by finding shelter and these caves were shelter. And the fact that they ran from their shelter is very curious. It's a real mystery. And after hearing the many legends surrounding the caves, people wonder 
what is working inside of it? Is there something Mm. more? Is there something supernatural? So no one knows. But basically, after the archaic period, the caves went unused. And then the next time these caves were really mentioned was in 1797, which is thousands of years later. That's wild. Yeah. And there's a little bit of debate in terms of who found and who discovered the the caves again. But it's believed to be a member of the Huchin Huchin family. And there is this man... This is the way the story goes. And I think even members within the own family like try to say, no, it was Johnny. No, it was so-and-so. But anyway, one of the family members was hunting a bear out in the woods in Kentucky. And the bear, realizing it was bigger, stronger, more ferocious than the hunter, turned on this man and started chasing the man. And this guy, the Hoochin man, was running through the woods and stumbled upon the cave. And thankfully so, because had he not found the cave, he probably would have been bear dinner. But he found the cave and he went into it for safety. And eventually the bear disappeared. And so he was able to come out and he had found this amazing cave in all of these cave systems. Obviously with caves, a lot of people, the first thing that you go to is mining and what minerals and resources can you use and make money off of. And so Mm -hmm. upon finding these caves, they quickly became used for mining and to collect saltpeter, which is used for gunpowder. And the caves changed hands many times. Like basically they would like mine as much resources as they could and they'd be like, oh wait, there's no more. But then they'd sell it and then the person who bought it would find so many more caves within the cave system because it's just so big. And Also, I'm shocked that this guy who found the caves was even of the right mind to be like, wow, a cave discovery. I should tell people because if I were being chased by a bear, I would just be shitting myself inside the cave and not even thinking about where I am or if I'm discovering something. But maybe the caves wanted to be found. They said they sent a bear after the right man. Yep, well, he found them. But I think they are like, they're really magical if you look at them. It's just the extensiveness of it is kind of bewildering and unsettling, but also amazing that this exists in our world. Mm -hmm. That's why it's a national park. But so it was sold a bunch during the War of 1812. And then after the war, the current owner discovered a mummified body and opened the caves as an attraction. And then when Mm -hmm. that owner died, the cave was sold to Franklin Gorin, who opened the caves again, continuing them as a tourist attraction, but more as like a like, let me have let's guide you through these caves and make money off of it rather than just come look at this mummified body. So. Uh, one of his slaves, Stephen Bishop, led the tours through the caves. And I, I actually really like this story because when we think of slavery, we think of the horrors and terrible things that have been done to people, which we should, rightly so. But this this man, Stephen Bishop, who was a slave, absolutely, like he was treated so well and he found something he was so passionate about and he has written about extensively because of what he's done for these caves. And Franklin Gorin, who was his boss slash owner at the time, gave him the freedom and power to run all of the tours. And he was so enthralled by these caves and he was so eccentric and energized and and had so much to say about the caves. And he took it upon himself to search the caves. So he is accredited for finding 
many of these little caverns and spaces inside the caves because he was just he loved it and he spent all like he spent all his time exploring them and he found what is called the the bottomless pit because no one knows how deep it goes and he would go into the dark nooks and crannies and find other extensions of the cave wow yeah and without him no one would have that and it was because of him that all these tourists were coming to the caves because everyone had heard about how Stephen Bishop talked about them and the history he knew about them and the stories he would tell about them and the legends and everything so he really kind of curated what is now the tourist attraction of Mammoth Caves, which I think is really remarkable. And in 1839, Franklin Gorin died and the caves were sold to Dr. John Crowen of Louisville. He bought the cave and he hired Stephen Bishop and many of the other slaves that were previously owned by Franklin Gorin to continue working on the caves and doing these tours. And Dr. Crowen, who was a little bit of a mad scientist thought these caves presented so many opportunities and so he was like i'm a doctor and i think these caves should become a hospital because that makes sense because when you're sick where would you want to go but a dark cave where you can't see anything and it's cold and it's dewy and it's dank and um yeah that makes sense yeah just in the event that there's an emergency or you need to get someone quickly who's sick or injured and therefore in the hospital how are you supposed to do that if you're trying to navigate yeah this cave system there are a few issues with his plans but he still went through with them and he did he did he did he opened what is like a well no one can say he's not ambitious no you're you're right he he tried and so, well, because he, he basically believed, so this is during consumption, which is tuberculosis as we know it now, and no one really had a cure for tuberculosis. And he thought one of his theories was like, if you give like this colder atmosphere, maybe that will help, which he wasn't that wrong because a lot of people who had tuberculosis later on eventually like found going to like fresh air, fine fresh air helped, but I don't think caves are the right right uh, solution but anyway so he opened this specific hospital in the caves for patients with consumption he built 11 huts inside the cab cavern cave can't now i don't know what's right <laughs> and he brought on 15 patients with consumption and they all moved into his hospital cave and within the first year, two of his 15 patients die, and all the others got worse, not better. And then Dr. Crowen himself died from tuberculosis in 1849. Oh, wow. But his cabins and the, not the final resting place, but where his the patients who had died were initially buried can still be seen today. And they call it the Corpse Rock. And it's said if you stay long enough, you can hear coughing throughout the caves. Yeah, so, so Savannah wrote to us and said that Today, you can still do tours that take you through all of this. And this is one of those places where they'll turn, they'll turn the lights off to make you feel what it's like, which is probably the scariest place to do it because the people who died there, it's scary, terrifying. In 1856, less than a year after gaining his freedom, Stephen B- Bishop died of an unknown cause, and he's buried in the old guide cemetery not far from the caves he loved so much in life and some people believe that he is still haunting 
not haunting, but visiting the caves and his ghost can be seen. And sometimes he'll kind of be seen standing behind the current tour guides as if encouraging them and also trying to like keep an eye on them and see if they're keeping up his legend, you know, the legend he left behind. Or a legacy, keeping up his legacy. There you go. That's what I meant. He, his spirit seems very pleasant. He's a, he's just kind of walking around, enjoying the caves as much as he loved them when he was alive. But there are some not so happy spirits in the caves. There is a cavern called. I'm hesitating every say every time I say it now. There's a cavern called the Haunted Chambers because a lot of strange and unusual chamber of secrets, basically, because many strange things have happened there. And it's believed that there were some spirits that were laid to rest there. Some of the Native Americans who were then later removed when the caves were uh, found, and they never moved on. And that they haunt the caves because they're angry that all these people are touring their final resting place. Sometimes they will make lights go out and sometimes they'll push people or they'll appear in backgrounds of photos or when the guy... Ooh, I want to see the photos. I couldn't find a ton of photos, but there are photos from within the caves, but I couldn't really find a ton about with them in the photos. But yeah, there's just a lot of... They cause people to be a little scared. One of the most interesting and most commonly seen spirits is a spirit with the name Melissa. She is believed to be the spirit of a young woman whose love for her tutor was not reciprocated and she sought revenge. So she found an opportunity to take him into the caves and abandon him in the cave without a lamp. And he was never seen again. Whoa, that's the cruelest thing in the world. Right. But so, but it's not his spirit that's seen. It's her spirit that's seen. Maybe that's what karma does. Well, she apparently... So the reason this story is even known is that because in February of 1858, a confession was written and appeared in the Knickerbocker. Apparently she wrote, For 15 long years I have carried a dark secret buried in my heart until it has worn away my life. But now that I am tottering on the brink of the grave, I am impelled to make a confession which I hope may render more tranquil my last sad hours. The tenacious care with which I have ever guarded the knowledge of my crime is no longer necessary, for no injury can now be wrought by a disclosure which, if earlier made, would have held up my name to eternal infamy as the blackest of my sex and brought disgrace on one of the proudest families in the land. So after the proudest families in the land, she basically detailed everything that happened in the cave and like how he didn't reciprocate the love and how she took him in there and left him without light. And then she wrote, I'm going to re-enter that dark cave, the threshold of which I have not crossed for 15 years. And there I will patiently await the coming of my death, which I hope to me will be blessed will be a blessed release. The gloom and horror to which years ago I doomed my victim shall be around me when I die, for I think that perhaps from amid the silent rocks which witnessed my crime, my last prayer for forgiveness will find acceptance. Wow. And she actually went into the cave. and That's what people believe. There are some people who think that this is a work of fiction, but it's never... I believe... What do you believe? I believe in the story you just told me. Thank you. Um, I don't know if I believe in it because I wasn't there, but it's a very interesting story. And regardless of if it's true or not, there is many people hear this, the, a woman's voice that's calling from within the cave and she's screaming and she'll say like calling for her love. Where's my love? And so it fits with this story, whether it's true or not, it might be 
this specific story might be fiction, but there's clearly someone in the cave looking for her lost love. And sometimes people will hear her screaming and she'll be singing and others hear a woman whispering or weeping in the cave and they all believe it's Melissa's ghost. Then there's another more commonly seen an experienced ghost, and his name is Floyd Collins. He was an avid traveler and adventurer in life, but it's his desire for adventure that ended in his death, or caused his death, I guess, because he grew up in the area of Kentucky around the caves. And many people, even before they knew it was 400 miles, there were all these arguments of like, are these caves connected or are they not connected? And Floyd believed that they were connected. And because he had this adventurous soul, he wanted to prove it. So he kept going into these caves and discovering more connections and, and how they connected back to the Mammoth Caves. And he actually discovered this cave called Crystal Cave. And then he was like, but there, there have to be more to find. And so he... In 1925, I think it was on a chilly day, on a late Friday, on January 1925, the 37-year-old man, Floyd Collins, found a little entrance in a neighbor's yard, and he made a deal with them that whatever he finds, they'll go split season, 50-50, because once you find a cave, then you get money from the national or before it was a national park, but basically from all the tourist attractions, because you're finding this cave, you were the one who did it. So late January, 1925, Collins crawls into what he, he found, but was not able to name, but it's now known as sand cave. He had one lamp and he carried it for hours as he searched the cave, but it went out because the oil oh. ran out. And Collins started to go back to the surface, trying to wriggle his way back through a very tight passage, his hands near his sides, when all of a sudden a rock fell on his foot. And it was only about a 30-pound foot by the end of it when rescuers found his body. The, the rock was only about 30 pounds, but the way it was had landed on his foot and then through the tight passage, the way it had like kind of landed it was stuck and wedged between the sides. And so he couldn't pick it up and he couldn't get out. And so he was stuck in this tight passage. This is literally the movie 127. Hours. Yes. It's yeah. Except for in that movie, he survived. And so he is starts screaming for help in complete darkness. Like he literally can't see a thing, anything. So even like he could be trying to get out, but he can't even see where it's wedged. He, he's just feeling around trying to do something, but nothing. He can't get out. He can't see. He's screaming. No one's answering him. He's convinced he's going to die there. And then almost 24 hours later, people found him because they knew that he had gone missing. They knew that he had entered into this one thing. So these rescuers all come looking for him and they located him and they were like determined, we're going to find you. We're going to get you out. And all hell was breaking loose. There were just rescuers pouring in. The newspapers were pouring in friends and state and local law officers, miners, stonecutters, the National Guard, college professors, physicians, all these people from all over the country were determined to get Floyd out of this cave. But unfortunately, while the rescuers were trying to go down there, they caused a collapse and it blocked off their access to Floyd, which basically doubled the amount of work that they needed to do to get to him. And so they're slowly trying to chip away. And and they were previously before this collapse, they were able to get him food and water. But now this collapse caused 
the this blockage that they weren't able to get to him and so he wasn't able to eat and it took i think it was like 20 days maybe total and they finally reached him and he was dead Oh. Yeah. So they reached his body on February 17th, 1925, and he was determined dead. Floyd's body was eventually removed from the cave after several years. So basically his body was left in the cave for years. And then he was finally removed when they felt it was safe enough and that they had the resources to get him out. And then he was interred in a family cemetery. But then... And then Floyd's father sold the cave and the property to a local dentist named Thomas who somehow, I don't understand how this worked, but basically Thomas, this dentist, was like, I know what to do. I know how to make money off this cave. And he got permission to exhume Floyd Collins' body from the grave, and he moved it into a glass coffin and put that glass coffin into the sand cave entrance. So like basically when all the tourists came, they were coming to look at Floyd Collins' body. And like that the top of the coffin was glass. Seems a bit disrespectful. Absolutely, and it, it got it got even worse because so people were looking at his decaying corpse, and then of course it's a glass top, which is not difficult to like move. You're picking a lot of stories where bodies are on display. I know what's what is up with me. Um, is this like is this deja vu for what's going to happen to my life? Oh no! But basically, because it's a glass cover of this coffin. Some someone decides to steal his body. And the theory is that it was like a rival cave owner who was angry at how many tourists were going to this cave, which like why steal a body? That seems like the worst thing you should do. But anyway, his body was then later discovered in a field minus a leg. Like one of his legs was missing when he was found and no one knows where the leg went. It's just never been recovered, which is just so sad because Floyd already went through such a horrible death don't defame his body. It's so horrible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this Thomas guy, the dentist, Thomas the dentist, found his body and they put him back in the coffin in Sand Cave, but the lid basically was no longer glass. It was just a coffin. And he wasn't given a, another proper burial until 1989. So that's over like, that's almost 30 years after he was put on display, which is very sad. That is. It's a long time. But after Floyd Collins's death, the national parks decided to make Mammoth Cave a national park. That way they could monitor who was coming in and out and make basically keep track of people. So Mammoth Caves is now a national park, which is amazing. And it's said that today, Floyd Collins' spirit still resides within the passageways of the cave, especially in areas associated with his death. His voice has been heard calling for help, which makes me wonder if it's a residual. But then they're also within like the same time frame as his voice calling for help. People will get hit with rocks or like objects will be thrown at people and it's almost which i don't know it's like is his spirit still stuck yeah it makes me wonder like is he mad and throwing the rocks or is he reenacting like the fear he felt Mm -hmm. and what he went through with the rubble and and debris and rocks falling on him right i don't know i mean the fact that the objects that are thrown have hit people makes me feel like he's still there like he's still stuck in that spot yeah but yeah i don't know he's just extremely frustrated yeah i mean i don't blame him so the national park service offers several cave tours to visitors and some of the notable features of the cave such as grand ave or frozen niagara and fat man's misery can be seen on lighted tours ranging from one to six hours in length could you imagine six hours in a cave i would 
freak out. Well, I feel like when I did the Waitomo glowworm caves, it was, I feel like I was there for a few hours. Yeah, I guess I mean, but it was different. We were being guided and we weren't alone and there was like yeah little activities and built-in things to do. And you all had your own lights, right? Probably. Um on your helmets. Oh yeah, yeah. I think so. So a lot of these tours there are a few of them that like I said are only the tour guides are the only ones with light and it's like the oil lanterns. And there are some tours that they're called the wild tours that venture away from the developed parts of the cave and into muddy crawls and dusty tunnels. So if you're very no, adventurous and experienced like there would be spiders there. And there would definitely be spiders. Uh, while on the Violet City tour of the cave, park rangers give park visitors an idea of what it was like to visit the cave before there were light bulbs and flashlights. And they call this part of the tour a blackout, where they turn off the lantern. And one of the tour guides or rangers will speak to the group. Many of the park guides report having strange experiences during the blackouts, like people will be shoved by an unseen force. They've heard footsteps to turn around behind them and see no one's there. They've been grabbed or touched in the darkness when no other people were nearby. And during one blackout, this guide named Larry Purcell noticed a family standing behind the group. And it, and they were like very like hard to tell. They couldn't really see, but it was darker than the darkness so he noticed them whereas he couldn't see anyone else but he noticed these like this group of dark dark like really scary spirits oh my god and he felt super unsettled and he was like i don't know what it is and who they are and then when they turned the light back on they were gone that's so creepy yeah but do you think it was a family or do you think it was just a cluster of like he so what his theory was is that because apparently they used the cave this part of the cave as part of a methodist church and when they had religious services there like all these families came to the services and so perhaps it was a family who was returning for a service but he said it was just terrifying because they looked like shadow figures which are always darker than darkness Yeah. On another occasion, there were two park guides who were talking a group through the chief city room when a woman said, who is that up there among the rocks? And the guides look where the woman was pointing and saw a man holding a lantern on top of a formation, which was called Sacrifice Rock. And the man was wearing a long sleeve shirt, an old droop style hat that was worn by Stephen Bishop, who was the slave who basically created all of the tours. And so it's like he's just watching over them. And they all were like, "Uh, it's just the shadows. It's nothing. But they all kind of agreed after the fact because they had seen pictures of Stephen Bishop. But they were like, I think that was Stephen. He was just coming to check in on us and doing his own tours or watching us do the tours to see how it is. And yeah, but those are the Mammoth Caves in Kentucky. Mammoth Caves have got a lot going on, as they should, if you have 400 miles of cave. Yeah. And I bet you it's more than that because if there's 400 miles, there's probably way more. Yeah. What if it stretches along underneath all of the U.S.? Holy crap. And you can just literally, oh, that's really scary to think that there could be like a whole nother basically city, a whole nother country below us in empty space. Caves. Yeah. And also the fact that Almost all of these caves we've talked about have so much history and connection to humans from the beginning of time, you know, that they're, they speak to our evolution as a society and as a 
creature. Yeah. It just, it's so interesting to me. Caves scare me. I don't ever want to go in one, even though I've been in so many. (laughs) But like going on a guided tour is so different than just like, I think it's just the act of like spelunking, like cave exploring. Mm -hmm. It just seems so incredibly dangerous and terrifying. By yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you're with someone else, I mean, you still, the two of you, three of you might still get trapped in a cave somewhere if like the same thing happened where it caves in in a certain area and then it would take however many days for people to get to you if they even know where you are. Yeah, it's scary. All right. What do you got? Listen to the story. Okay. This is from S. Hello, ladies, aka the ghostesses with the mostesses. I've binged to listen to all of your episodes and have to say I love you, your guys' style of hosting. It's a perfect mix of storytelling and conversation with you two occasionally freaking yourselves out. Yep. My tale starts off in the mountains of southwestern Pennsylvania, just south of Pittsburgh, in a very rural region where the Yugiogeni River rushes past. The river cuts through valleys of bluestone, limestone, and other variations of sediments I must have slept through in my earth sciences courses. These mountains are riddled with caves and caverns. My friend and I typical rednecks, would find ourselves crawling through some crack that would eventually lead us to large caverns or underground streams, complete with waterfalls so perfect. For an outdoorsman like me, it felt like heaven. After one adventure into the earth, we decided to explore one more cave. Well, I say cave, but it's an old stone mine named Kaspari's. The old mine had been in operation for decades, but shut down long before I ever entered it. The 30-foot-high entrances were collapsed, leaving a small opening you had to crawl through to enter into a massive 30- to 50-foot-high vaulted ceiling. The mine is extremely dangerous, with myself having been bruised many times, and my one friend that I'll call Claire having fractured a knee on a particularly bad fall. Gosh. Yikes. Why would they want to go back? Yeah, that sounds terrifying. The mine could only really be safely explored with rope and safety equipment. On this day, myself and another friend, I'll call Nicole, decided to take our group of friends as far back as we could get in search of the rumored second entrance. I don't believe it's bragging to say Nicole and I were experts in the mine (laughs) by this time and felt confident that we could handle anything thrown at us. We had each made countless excursions into the pit. As we moved further back, the paths became less and less familiar and more trail markers were left. Sometimes glow sticks and other times piles of stones called a carn. After about an hour of steady progress, we came upon a section neither neither of us had ever been to before. The walls sported more graffiti than normal, and the path smoothed out, revealing the old mine tracks that the carts would take in and out of the mine. But the most promising was the feeling of a slight yet steady amount of air movement, which me and Nicole took as a positive sign. It was around this point that the normal sound of gravel under our feet gave way to the hollow clatter of bones on hard surface. Oh, no. Curious, I found what I was sure was a nice size rib bone. Not feeling too concerned, we brushed it off. Hey, it's Pennsylvania, where shit happens. And we pushed forward. <laughs> 
Shortly after, I noticed a small stone fire circle filled with debris. It was odd to find a fire pit in the mine, simply because everyone crazy enough to crawl in is nowhere near crazy or dumb enough to start a fire that could spark gases and cause the ceiling to collapse from the heat on the cold stone. An experienced spelunker would be thinking, danger, Will Robinson, danger. (laughs) I approached the fire circle to find more bones, big and small each charred black with skin turned to ash still clinging to its brutalized pieces no a leg bone parts of a spine and a jawbone lay on the surface (gasps) it was what was next to the pile that drew my attention though just sitting there almost propped on a rock like browned and burned hide of what looked to be the head of a goat what even when dead and burned it still looked to be in pain Oh, Oh my gosh, this is so sad. It had been carefully removed from the skull so that the face was still intact and dried, like from a smoker. It sat in a way that suggested to me that someone had been wearing it. (gasps) My friends and I, either making similar guesses at what we had just found, bravely turned our tails and fled. Now, I'm a devout Catholic, and as much, I almost always have a rosary in my pocket, but I rarely ever wore it prior to this incident. It's not seen as acceptable to wear a rosary as if it were just jewelry or but only in the spirit of pure faith. My rosary was quickly taken out of my pocket and wrapped around my wrist. The atmosphere of the mines seemed to close in. Our way out seemed to take longer, and after two missed turns, Nicole and I began to notice our trail markers had been moved down the wrong section, (gasps) and in one instance, our carn had been disassembled. What? Oh, God, huge chills. Eventually, we found our way out of the mine and regained our courage by laughing off the entire event at a nearby bar. Nicole and I speculated that there must have been a second entrance, just judging from the amount of graffiti and the impossibility of walking an animal as far back as we had found it. But all of us were positive we had found a devil worshipping site. Oh my God. Creeped out, we left the bar, feeling certain all was back to normal. Now, Claire was not with us on this trip, but she is sensitive. And since this event has begun taking lessons and honing her abilities, she she was the first to ask me if everything was all right because something felt off. Even though something had felt unusual, like a small pressure on the back of my neck, I laughed it off, asking her not to use her hoodoo on me. (laughs) That night, I thought about the last month since the mind trip and realized that I had not slept well that entire time, often waking up from vivid nightmares and feeling uneasy on my night drives home from my night shifts. It was not until the Lenten season near or on the same night as ash wednesday when we make our lenten vows to god that i felt something was very wrong almost as if i'd taken a challenge to disrupt the holy season for me that night i was woken up after a particularly nasty dream where some verdant eyed entity tried to drag me into the basement of a house i'd never seen in the dream i managed to begin an our father and shook myself awake only to be met by a violent growl in my bedroom that left me unable to move or breathe in my bed Locked down, I I struggled for movement or even to breathe. It's not like I was being strangled, but more like there was simply no oxygen to breathe. Finally, after what seemed like several minutes, I was able to say, St. Michael the Archangel, defend me. The feeling lifted, leaving behind a tingling sensation throughout my body as the only evidence 
left that anything had happened. I jumped up and I grabbed my rosary again. I didn't go back to sleep the rest of the night, instead reading my Bible out loud and calling Claire the moment the sun rose. She admitted to being troubled by the feeling around me lately. She described it as something trying to cover my natural aura or blocking it. She promised to think on it and pray pray for me that night. The next day, she called me in tears, describing something she could not see, growling at her all night and even trying to pin her down like I no. had been. She kept a rosary on her bedpost and claimed that she that when she reached for it, her arm froze and it felt like someone had grabbed her by the wrist and wouldn't let go. Oh my gosh. Claire said that whatever it was could not wait. I had attended a Catholic university and had a good rapport with the priest there. I informed Claire of this and we decided to go speak to the father only to find out on arrival that he had been involved in a vehicle accident a few months prior and had been severely injured, but one of the mother superiors, the school is a nunnery, would be happy to see us. When we told her our story, she instantly believed us and referred us to a retired priest who had some experience in the field. We went to see Father Mike, not his real name, but after listening to our stories, he asked each of us several questions, including if my family had a history of mental illness, to which I've only ever been diagnosed with ADHD. At at the end, he said, without physical evidence, there was little that could be done. He did arm us with a number of prayers, holy water, a blessing, and instructions to fast occasionally. He sent us back out. Lent was now in full swing, and with confidence, Claire and I said the prayers recommended to us, but the dreams returned. I'll remember its mocking smile and its eyes for the rest of my life, the way that it poked fun at us. Oftentimes, it would change the appearance of itself in a dream, but it was always distinguishable by the eyes. The eyes were never quite right. For the next week's shadows were seen throughout my house, doors closed on their own, phantom screams could be heard, and more than a few times I'd be laying down, about to fall asleep, and a deep scream yelling my name would spring me awake better than a five-hour energy shot. Oh my gosh. The feeling of someone behind me was constant to an extent that I had to turn all of my mirrors away from me out of anxiety that I would see someone behind me. Anytime I was near a mirror, I did my best to avoid actually looking into it. It was a small tingle that never felt right on the back of my neck, coupled with a perpetual dread. At the end of Lent, it finally began to break, as it was Claire who found several more prayers that could be used to bless a house and say nightly the activity to bless a house and say nightly, and the activity slowed down. I'm not sure if it was banished or just hiding or even why it died down. I just know that it felt like a cast you've had on all summer was being removed. The relief Ooh. was instant. I know something still follows me, but the malice of when it first began has died except an occasional nightmare. When I was going to school, I gave a lot of consideration to becoming a priest. And guess which field held my interest? You guessed it, an exorcist. The only reason the only reason that it held me back was that I'm the last male in my family bearing my family name, but I definitely learned from this experience that these things are not a movie. They don't clash and make a ton of noise, hurting you all and 
and then ends in an hour. It's a siege. They want to wear you down and make you feel alone over months and years. Even if your dreams, they'll reach towards you. But you have the power given to you to fight back. Oh my gosh. Thank you, ladies, for reading my email. I have a dozen more stories. And everyone in my family has had a few scares, especially if you want to get into creepy things that happened while hiking. Yes! (laughs) Yes. I love hiking ones. Send everything. Yes. I love your podcast. It's fantastic. And I hope you never stop. P.S. Read David Paulides. Paulides. He's a former detective from San Jose that has been tracking missing people that have never been found in national parks. He's compiled close to 4,000 cases into books called Missing 411, stories of people that disappeared under mysterious circumstances and dogs couldn't even track them down. Whoa. Many of the people just seemingly vanished into thin air, leaving no trace behind and have never been found. Happy hauntings from one of your phantoms, S. Wow. Okay, quick side note. I looked up Missing 411, and you can buy the books from the guy's website, but on Amazon, they sell for like $90, because I think there aren't that many in production, but I'm dying to read them now. Okay, wait, cool. Let's read it. Yeah, they also have a documentary, too. So maybe I'll start with the documentary. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, Oh, my gosh. Holy crap. That story is so scary. Just the fact that the markers that they were putting down on the ground were being moved, too, is so creepy and eerie. Well, it reminds me of... um, Shoot, why am I blanking on the name? We literally talked about it a few hours ago before we recorded this episode. The... The thing that the artifact that was found in the cave, you talked about it. Oh, the crown of cats. Yeah, it reminds me of the crown of cats. Goes like some like really dark entity attached to something in a cave that like should have stayed there that left with them and maybe was like called upon by whoever was in this cave doing a crazy sacrifice of an animal, and it followed S. Yeah. I also am super curious about the goat face mask and like the bones and everything. It makes me wonder that there is like if there's this really awful evil demonic entity that's residing in this cave. Do you think that it's targeted like kind of like Billy and Stranger Things? Do you think that it's targeted like a person to come and do its bidding for him? And like that's where... Yeah, I don't the fire pit and the mask and like all of that comes from. Yeah, I don't know, but there's also like a part of me where it's like people do terrible things all the time. And I believe that there are people out there who would be willing without a demonic entity influencing them to do so to sacrifice an animal on behalf of like this like belief that they can conjure a dark spirit and maybe they did you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. like no one i mean some people do but like there are so many people who play ouija boards and it's an innocent i just want to communicate with the spirits and it becomes so much more if that's the case i imagine there are people who are like i want to conjure darkness true oh god and it sounds like s is definitely the target though claire Maybe just because she's such an empath is yeah. totally experiencing it. And, and because I, she was going trying to help him. Right. It makes me wonder if Nicole's ever experienced anything either. And it's like, you think you protect yourself. Like clearly S and Claire and Nicole and all of their friends who went in the cave, they, you know, they didn't go in there looking for some darkness. They lo- went looking for the second entrance and just because they were there. 
because they were in that spot and they happened upon whatever it was, they were targeted. You're never safe. I know, and you just want to be. It makes me wonder, too, how many, like, if that's ever happened where someone leaves markers in a cave and then they end up not ever being able to find their way out because something interfered. I don't like it. No, me neither. All right, so what do you have to tell us about? Okay, I have a story from Tyrus, and it's actually about Mammoth Caves. Ooh. He has a... I'll read, like, one little short story before that one, and then I'll go into that story. Um, okay, he says, Hello, I'm Tyrus from Indianapolis. I've recently discovered your podcast, and I am quickly catching up. But in the meantime, I'd like to share some of my experiences. I am not a religious or spiritual person. However, there are several things that have happened to me that I have been unable to explain. The first occurred when I was in middle school, so around 2008 and 09. It was one of the first times I had stayed home alone. I was in the kitchen pouring a glass of milk when the house phone rang. I left the glass on the counter, put the gallon of milk back in the fridge, and went to the other room to answer the phone. I was expecting a call from my mom, who was going to let me know when to start dinner when my family was coming home. But there was nothing but static on the other side. I shrugged it off, put it back on the receiver, walked back to the kitchen. The glass was still there. But there was no milk in the glass. And the glass had been slightly moved, as a ring of residual milk was on the counter where the glass had originally been. It was particularly eerie, and when my family did come home, I told them. My dad thinks that I probably drank the milk and forgot, but I'm like 90% sure that that did not happen. Scary. The second experience happened during college on a camping trip to the backcountry at Mammoth Cave National Park with a couple of friends. We had driven for nearly an hour into the park and then walked for nearly two hours through a forest and up a mountain to our campsite. After we had set up our tent, my friend realized he had left his keys in his truck and wanted us all to walk back to his truck so he could retrieve them. Me, exhausted already by the hike, did not want to hike for another four hours to retrieve some keys. This camping trip was not the best plan and extended outdoors time already makes me grumpy, so the two of them left and I stayed behind. I've been unsure of if what happened next was a near psychotic breakdown or if something otherworldly was occurring, but I'm not sure if I've ever been so scared. It started with footsteps, like someone was circling the campsite in the leaves. It wasn't really windy on that day, but this was not wind. This was deliberate movement at a steady pace, circling our campsite. We were up on a hill, so I went to the other side and looked down and saw nothing. I sat back down, and I continued to read my book, but it continued. After a while, there started to be whispers. Nothing that I could make out, just one or two phrases coming from all around me. The footsteps sounded as if they were closing in and had become more numerous. Again, I got up to look around me, but there was nothing, and it stopped. I decided to sit in the tent now to at least make myself feel safer. And after some more time passed, it began again with the whispers and the circling, but it became louder, more numerous. I heard people holding conversations, men laughing, china clicking, as if I was sitting in the middle of a high-end restaurant in a busy city and not in solitude in Kentucky. It felt deafening, but then it would stop suddenly and then start again, softly, and work itself up again. I didn't feel that I could leave because I didn't have a map or a cell phone or didn't, I didn't have a map or cell service, and I was afraid of becoming lost. 
I was alone for over four hours, and as soon as my friends returned, it just stopped, and I never heard it again. What? I was a bit on edge for the rest of the trip, but luckily, I made it back in one piece. Thanks for making the show. It definitely makes my workday go faster. Tyrus. What could that have been? I have no idea, but I feel like that's such a common thing that happens when you go camping out in the middle of the woods, and... And especially in places with so much history where you're in your tent and there's just like sounds of people talking outside of your tent and walking around. I would have been absolutely frozen with fear. We read that one story. I can't remember who sent it to us, one of our listeners. And it was so scary because it was like the voice of someone they knew. Remember like the brother? Yes. And it was like beckoning them out. Oh God, I hate Like do they want you to run? Do they want you to go so that way like you're more vulnerable and then your friends can't find you and you get lost in the woods? I think camping stories are the scariest. (laughs) Hiking and camping and just being in the woods. It's just because it's like you feel so small. Like you're so little and insignificant when you are like out in wilderness and some of it's so refreshing where it's just like wow like you're you're reset and like put back with nature but at the same time it's also like you're super alone yeah yes it's terrifying there's yeah oh and you can get lost so easily oh gosh oh my god well i bet uh Tyrus next time is going to do that four hour hike or just not go ever again because just never go. he doesn't like camping already oh man wow all right well if you guys have spooky tales if you have any encounters any odd things that have happened to you please email them to us yes our email is two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com and we mentioned this in our episode last week but we are changing the format of our show and we're going to be doing one episode a week and it's going to be every other week is a long form encounters episode where we'll be reading way more of your stories so send them to us and then the other two weeks of the month will be an episode like you just heard so it's gonna be so much fun and there's gonna be so many more ghost stories and we're so excited you can also support us in a variety of ways many of you guys know our spiel you can rate and review on itunes that's super important just as important as word of mouth let everyone know that you're listening to us especially right now during spooky season mm-hmm. um and then you can also uh donate if able to our patreon and we also have some merchandise so if you want to head out onto the streets into work onto your next date maybe having some breakfast with grandma and wear some two girls one go stuff <laughs> and please do you can follow us on social media um and before i forget thank you to eric foster at upfire digital for editing this episode and we will see you on the other side. Very smooth.